Hello, one and all, and a very happy Halloween. Ooh, spooky. I think this is coming out like a day before, two days before it, yeah, Halloween. Yeah, just, so just prior. If just you're prior. listening, it's um, it's a spooky time. It's an election year, so there's a lot to be it's afraid of. It's very spooky. November is perhaps the scarier month. It's literally the elections <laughs> next week. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, great. Anyway, um, now I'm legitimately scared. So um, this is the B-Side Podcast, uh, part of the Film Stage website. Here, as you know, we talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they were spooky in, in between, or the ones where they played a priest as the fourth lead in between. (laughs) And today we are talking about a Hollywood legend, or Hollywood legend, sorry, a Halloween legend, rather, um, Mr. Peter Cushing, uh, one of uh, one third of the greats. What do you call? What, what's the, the title the un, for them? The unholy trinity. The unholy trinity yeah. um, of Christopher Lee, Vincent Price, and Peter Cushing. Obviously, star of a lot of Hammer films. Um, you know him from obviously Star Wars as Grand Moff Tarkin, and of course, to talk about such an esteemed subject, we cannot do it alone. We, it's me. It's Connor, but we have. I don't even know how many times you've been on the show now, Gavin. It's many times, but I think been on the show. you must at least be in the five timers. Seven, did you say seven? <laughs> I, you I think? Said, no, I said seventy, but I think Connor's right. Oh, I, think, I, I think I think this is the five timers club. For I, me, you must maybe? be. You're, you're our Drew Barrymore. You are. Yeah. You're in the five timers club. <laughs> yeah. Um, you are, I don't have that energy. I don't. You're a, you're a candy. You're a candy Bergen. Uh, you're in the five timers club. Um, Gavin Mevius, editor talented as heck we work with him all the time but more importantly a podcaster and co-host of the mixed reviews podcast gavin how the heck are you and let me just say before you answer you had it you and louie your co-host you guys did a great episode on vincent price um what was it like a year ago yeah it was it was our first we do we try and do two episodes every halloween season because we are a bi-monthly podcast or bi-weekly podcast and so yeah vincent price was our first halloween episode of last year and then we try and do a a subject so we're i'm I'm deep within the research process of uh ghosts on film currently oh and and you just did um as we're speaking well it's that that episode on ghosts is probably available or about to be available right if you're listening and um if you're listening you only a month ago more or less did an episode on uh, jamie lee curtis which Correct, was great yeah. uh, who's obviously a scream the original scream queen in a lot of respects yeah, she's the grand dame scream queen at this point indeed, i guess indeed indeed um and she was on a show called scream queens right yes yeah the world's first uh comedy horror thing that's what ryan murphy told everybody during the press round yes well as he ryan created, murphy he yeah. he invents things that nobody's ever done yeah we right. do know that about him it's He's somebody crazy who, it's totally he, original he invented, His, he invented hollywood right well yeah, did you, if, that's you watch, if you watch if you watch the netflix show hollywood you will learn about hollywood yeah he he is the first person to talk about old hollywood yeah which is kind of cool that's um, crazy gavin how are you doing man how are you doing miss um, this whole mishigash i'm i'm doing all right you hanging in there doing not leaving the house very much and you know took took a month-long sojourn upstate to visit my mom for a bit but back in the city now and yeah it's bouncing between jobs and 
yeah i'm I'm here <laughs> doing doing my thing it's exactly. such a crazy weird time to be be like yeah no i'm thriving no I don't. Well, I remember, <laughs> yeah rob 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 Shear, who i know gavin you know uh you know just in the world that we all are in or whatever he just did he, your Clooney episode yeah and i was gonna say his answer was like well considering that every single thing is bad i'm doing okay and it's like that's <laughs> yeah it's just everything the gets, right way to say it. everything gets couched everything yeah. gets um, cushioned <laughs> Everything gets. Hey now, it's gonna get so, cushing for sure. Connor, I want. Usually, I kind of go into like, oh, who is our our subject? But I think it's appropriate because you and Gavin, I think, have this background more than I do. Horror is not my forte. I'll just kind of say that up front. I've seen, I think, I've seen plenty, but I have seen. I think a fraction compared to you guys, and you know, um, even especially when you come into the hammer of it all. So. Connor, I'm going to throw to you and let you kind of tell us a little bit about Peter Cushing and kind of jump into our, our movies we're covering today and all that. Sure, sure. So, yeah, today we're going to talk about Peter Wilton Cushing. Um, he was born in 1913, and uh, he's from England, as you might know. He, As Dan mentioned, he's most famous for his appearances in the uh, Hammer horror films, uh, first and foremost as as uh frankenstein is that correct yep. gavin did he yeah, yeah dr frankenstein that was his first hammer appearance though right it yeah was the curse uh, of frankenstein yes yeah it's... actually i know this because i just looked it up yes, it, yes oh, okay it thank okay. you okay cool um yeah and that kind of became the one uh that he was the most famous for i would say the second most famous was his turn as van helsing in hammer's dracula films um but before that, he actually, you know, he had essentially just prior to World War II, he had gone to the States uh, in the 30s and um, and really wanted to try and, and hack it as an actor. And his first appearance was actually in a much earlier adaptation of a movie the three of us have talked about called <laughs> The Man in the Iron Mask. Uh, Cushing was essentially most of his work actually was cut out of the movie because he was just a stand-in for the dual role of the uh, of the man in the iron mask and king louis and um but he wound up getting a role as the king's messenger uh in which he is basically you know he appears in the, the movie briefly and um and was to and basically lied and said that he was excellent at fencing because it was sort of required for his role. And he was able to, to, I suppose, fumble his way through it. He does a little bit of fencing, too, in one of the movies we're going to talk yeah. about. I, he, he definitely got much better as he went on. I'm just imagining him on set, though, like James I'm, Whale, just being like, does anybody fence oh yeah, we on should, this we set? Should mention, yeah, it was James, it was James Whale's <laughs> yeah. Man in the Iron Mask. Um, I, um, I wish Christian could have delivered the line, wear it until you love it. <laughs> <laughs> it feel, I feel like he could have with, uh, with ease, probably. Probably. Oh, um, man. Uh, Randall Wallace's Man in the Iron Mask is what, <laughs> is what that's from. The funny thing is, is, is Cushing, I, I almost can't hear him do that because he's so controlled and he's all the so, time. Yes, he's very and, quiet. And it's, yeah. he would be like, wear it until you love it. Yes, and It would exactly. just be very, yeah. like, oh, measured. And, yeah. Uh, um, I'm, I'm picturing it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Anyway, yeah, so he that was his uh, essentially his first screen credit. 
Um, he had done a couple of other things here and there. And then uh, a little thing you might have heard of called World War II happened. <laughs> uh, really put a damper on things. Um, yeah, especially for Hollywood. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's someone we should feel the worst for it. He, he did, though, before just prior to World War II, he did uh, wind up kind of getting a little bit more you know he's basically touched every facet of you know acting media in his career he did radio he did television uh, live television he did broadway um but some as you might know more successfully than others um but he basically had moved to new york because he was he had finally hit a point in hollywood where he was like eh, i don't know and he had moved to new york sort of with the ultimate anticipation of moving back home and he wound up doing a little bit of Broadway, ultimately wound up in uh, Laurence Olivier's theater troupe. Uh, and he, Cushing and his wife, worked with them for many years. Um, and then post-World War II, he essentially found his way to Hammer Horror. And that was his big, I, I would say that was his big break. That was the thing that sort of turned him into a a, a global star if not critically at least with audiences um and, and it sort of turned him into kind of an overnight success uh in the curse of frankenstein um from there he was in the horror of dracula opposite christopher lee uh who played dracula and and it kind of went from there he appeared i believe in five uh five sequels or is it six five, six, six six of the seven frankenstein movies because one is a remake Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Got and it. And then I think he's, but I think he's Van Helsing in like five of the oh, six yes. Dracula's or something. Yeah, yeah. As well. Maybe that's, maybe that's what. And I'm you, I don't know if you said this, Connor. Christopher Lee plays the creature in Frankenstein. Oh, no. I yes. did not, I did not mention that. But they also, as you might know or might not know, they became fast friends. They stayed, they basically were friends for the last rest of Cushing's life. Very um, famous. Um, anecdote which has been proven false because he had met christopher lee beforehand but the the story goes that they met each other on set for the first time as he was dressed as the creature and then the next time he saw him he was out of makeup and peter cushing screamed in fear <laughs> i like that i love that i like that yeah the basically from there he he still pops up in other things a couple of things obviously our our rule with these b-sides we're going to cover which i'll dive into um our you know basically our rule was no horror movies um a couple of these are hammer films some of them are not um but we are going to essentially cover four films first of which is 1958's violent playground uh D directed by Basil Dreardon. Uh, then we're going to do 1960s Sword of Sherwood Forest, uh, directed by Terrence Fisher, who's a Hammer regular. Um, next, we will do uh, Cash on Demand, which is the year later, 1961, uh, which was directed by Quentin Lawrence, um, in which Peter Cushion plays the Clock King from Batman. <laughs> 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 genuinely genuinely looks like the clock he, a lot like Batman I, I just have a hard series. and gavin i think i mentioned this to you his character and we'll get to it but his character in cash on demand i have a hard time that whoever conceived the clock king has not seen this movie they must have because it's like yeah. the same exact personality um but then we're gonna jump that's 1961 then we're gonna jump way ahead uh basically to what i believe is his second one of his second to last 
film roles. It's a technically a television movie, but it's uh, his uh, reprisal of Sherlock Holmes in Sherlock Holmes and the Masks of Death from 1984. Um, 1984, which coincidentally he became very famous for doing a live TV version of. Um, yeah, it's something that uh, originally was said to have hindered his career, but ended up making him more and more famous on television because, um, I mean, the British government even decided that they wouldn't re-air it. It was a a staged version that was aired on TV, and essentially the, the critics found it so controversial, and they couldn't believe that he would star in such trash, but then he took off like a rocket after that, so... Yeah, he did it twice, I believe. Right when they, yeah. Re, when they, yeah, and and he, I think, even said that he preferred, uh, he preferred his second, uh, his <laughs> second performance. Um, but yeah, I guess um, let's just, uh, I guess, we'll dive right into it. So, fifty-eight. He's basically well into Hammer films at this point, um, and he does a film called violent playground which is based on an original screenplay by james kennaway and um it's a lot like if you've seen you know uh blackboard jungle yeah. similar to that um the young savages which is an early yeah black blackboard jungle is before this yeah it's 55 um, oh it is okay okay so yeah this is when this movie came out i was reading some coverage all those movies get brought up um you know right. like when when violent playground uh, yeah it, violent playground i don't think came out in the states until the 60s after cushing became oh uh, makes more sense of a makes name. sense but yeah. even in england because yeah because yeah, the one i was th- the young savages which is the uh which is the frankenheimer movie with burt lancaster uh <laughs> it's that's 61 so it's technically yeah. after this but to your point dan uh, you know, people part of what brought this film it. over, which I think is hilarious if you've seen this movie and seen how dark it gets, was Beatlemania. Um, right, because it's which, set in Liverpool. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, and David McCallum, who plays the, I guess the, he's Joe, he's Johnny, who's like, yeah. I guess, the, ultimately the heavy kind of, um, he is Ilya in yeah. The Man from Uncle. Ilya Kirokin. And he has that haircut, that bull haircut mm-hmm. that was so much of the British invasion um, with the Beatles. So it's kind of and all man, connected. can he dance? Yeah, oh, good. That was like a provocative scene in this movie. Yeah, yeah. That, that I scene. think that's that's the thing you have to. Well, it's like it's like a reefer madness scene. I, well, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because that was the whole vibe I got from this movie, and it's just a thing that, and I'm sure you'll mention this, Dan, but like, it's the other movies that we mentioned just do this thing better where you know they're very they're their takes on you know what people were discovering teenagers were <laughs> yes in in the late 50s and six and early 60s and you know obviously most of them are through a very conservative lens and stuff but it's just it's just something that's handled just more interestingly and maybe with a little bit more not a little well, a lot more nuance uh in in the other movies we mentioned but i do think it's an interesting it is just a very interesting timepiece in that regard where it's like you're just you're literally watching british adults just like panic and try and figure out what teenagers are and just being wrong about like 98% of it <laughs> what's also what's also to me fascinating about violent playground which i don't think is a particularly good movie probably the worst of, of the four we're going to talk about, but, but 
it comes out and is kind of the conservative take on on social issues that are about to or currently being covered by the British New Wave, which I know we've talked about on this podcast, you know, the Angry Young Man movies by like Jack Clayton, Tony Richardson, Carol Rees, and John Schlesinger, like Loneliness and Long Distance Runner, Billy Liar, Look Back in Anger, sure, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. Like these movies where you meet like the Richard Burtons, right? And uh, Tom Courtney's and, you know, what have you. They're coming out like basically around the same time and their take on these same issues is way more well-drawn, right? way, way more nuanced, way more controversial. And then, you know, the, this movie is like from the cop's point of view yeah. of these issues. It's like, yeah. if your dad was like, Oh, let me try to like, you know, it's like the Steve Buscemi, you know, hello, my fellow students or whatever. <laughs> yeah. like, that's kind of what this movie feels like a lot, a lot like. Yeah. Me. It, yeah. I mean, it yeah. just, it feels like it leans way more into, it leans way more into that reefer madness world. Cause it just does it, it drips of just straight up propaganda, right? Like it's super yeah. establishment, but I did think the, the thing that, that struck me and uh, I also didn't like it very much dan um but the thing that struck me is even though it constantly wants you to be on the side of the lead cop he's maybe the least effective character throughout 90 yeah. percent of the film and he's constantly finding ways to screw up and ruin it for everybody else there's a great scene where peter cushing actually confronts david mccallum and and as they i think they say in the film like he almost had him and then i ruined it yeah and he like bursts in and peter cushing in the one moment of like anger in the movie he's like don't you knock (laughs) do you remember the night of the blaze who's talking about fires i am and isn't it about time i did don't worry i'm not a policeman and i'm not in league with the police i'm guessing but johnny god doesn't guess he knows. God helps those that help themselves, not those that are unhelpful. If you're not prepared to try and help yourself, then we'd better start talking about the half mile again. No. I didn't come about that. What did you come for, then? You said about the blaze when I was a kid. Father. Uh-huh. Father, nothing gives me a kick like that. Not anymore. Maybe I'm changing my mind. I don't know. It's 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 not because I'm scared. It's go on. It's it's as if I'm nothing to do with anything anymore. Not the town, not the street, not Kathy. Not even your friends? Slick and Douglas? Not them at all. Father, I... I want... Can't you knock before you come in? I'm sorry, I... Now, Johnny... Don't be a fool, Johnny! I'm really sorry, I had no idea. Please, please, I have no right to snap you. It's just bad luck. It's as if for the first time in 10 years, I seem to be getting somewhere. Yeah, I think that scene is actually pretty effective, partially because, and I guess before we keep going, I'll just, the plot, super quickly, it's, I mean, it's 
It's very easy. Plot. It's yeah. very easy plot. Basically, as we've mentioned, David McCallum plays this, you know, sort of angsty young man named Johnny Murphy, who's sort of the ringleader of a group of other angsty young men. And Anne Haywood plays his older sister. And Stanley Baker plays this cop that Gavin mentioned, who is essentially newly assigned to uh, juvenile affairs, right? He's a, he's basically, he become, they assign him to being a truant officer uh, while his former partner is continuing to investigate a series of, uh, of fires that have happened around. Yeah, arson, yeah. an arsonist yeah. is on the loose. Yeah, yeah. And wait, that they call just, a firefly yeah. just to tie it in. Yeah. To the, and, yeah. fun, and funny enough, young, it's young Nathan Fillion plays Johnny Merton. No, yeah, sorry. which is weird, which is weird. Um, I was going the Batman, the animated yeah, series. No, that's route, what I, but, yeah. I, I was picking. Pick okay, I'll that. leave. I'll see you guys later. Bye. Um, no, Thank you for joining us on Dan Michael's uh, B-Side. <laughs> and that's the episode. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. No, um, no, but there is, so there's this series of, of warehouse fires and things like that that have happened around town um and you know you basically ultimately learn that this young man johnny is is essentially responsible uh for for lighting them and he becomes this i mean he becomes essentially the lead of the movie i mean in, in, at least in, yeah. if not the lead certainly the focus right like it is it all yeah. becomes all, but but awkwardly so. Yeah. I would I mean say forty five minutes into the film, you're suddenly your focus shifts more onto him than it was throughout the first right, forty five. Because you spend the first half of the movie with with Stanley Baker, who plays the uh, Truman is his name is the yeah. uh, officer's name. Maybe the movie is brilliant, and I didn't realize it. I, Maybe that that scene where he confronts Peter Cushing is the point where you're supposed to shift your focus. And... I suppose so. Yeah, <laughs> Peter Cushing. Uh, we shouldn't go too long without mentioning him. He's simply credited as priest, which okay, <laughs> um, and he naturally. I mean, you, it, it it takes on a sort of angels with dirty faces vibe basically um he he sort of steps in tries it's to be very, very pat o'brien yeah yeah try yeah. tries to be sort of the voice of reason for this young man um i generally speaking pretty good performance i think like it's not you know he yeah he doesn't have a ton to do but to your point gavin i think he's got a handful of scenes that he's super effective in um and and he's so well written i mean one of the things that people often said about Peter Cushing is he wasn't difficult to work with, but he was fussy. He was very fussy about his lines and his costumes. And and I found his scenes and I have no idea, you know, if he had a hand in taking the reins on them or or having the dialogue tailored more towards him. But I found his scenes much more effective than most of the other characters, except for his final scene, which seems to be the opposite of his character for where he's just kind of like, well, everyone did a good job. Yeah. He like Let's... literally, he literally <laughs> pats Anne Haywood on the back and he's like, yeah, yeah that's it. Um, I get, I feel like we have to spoil this movie, right? Because it's, it's insane. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean. So, yeah. So as the movie progresses, you ultimately, you know, Truman gets introduced to Johnny through his younger siblings who are kind of going down, a, you know, what we what one would say is going down a similar path, even though they're just, yeah. you know, they're committing whatever they're like taken from a candy shop or whatever. Right. Um, but essentially, ultimately, he meets Johnny. 
tries to sort of keep his eye on Johnny for all of the reasons that his job entails. Uh, part of that is where, as Gavin said, we're, we're given, we're treated to some, uh, some David McCallum dancing. He basically shows up to Johnny, you know, he's, he's watching Johnny hang out with a bunch of his friends and they're all just sort of waving their arms. And yeah. these kids these days, this is what they do with their time. It's crazy. They're on drugs. <laughs> and dancing. I, I was um, a little surprised that there, there's very few people of color in the film, but I thought the one, one scene that would have helped with that at least would have been that. And no, yes, it's yeah, they're all nope. just a wall of white children just waving their arms and waving <laughs> yeah. their heads and, and their, the little and their kids long looking hair. miserable. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so he Truman is following Johnny and ultimately follows him as he goes to meet with Peter Cushing. And as Gavin said, he sort of spoils everything. Uh, and it essentially devolves into Johnny deciding that he need you you realize that he's been the one that's been behind these fires um as he sort of recruits this other young man in alexander who is this stereotypical uh son of a a like a someone who runs a chinese laundry which is a little insane but well i'm not even going to go there and uh he uses him for his van to drive around to help him set all these fires and get away and whatnot and Johnny decides he's going to set fire to a hotel, right? Which seems like a gigantic leap because you, you get the sense that previously the fires that he set have been either in abandoned buildings or buildings that weren't currently being used. But he seems determined to do it and winds up doing it. And then the movie just for the second half basically just spirals out of control to an insane degree. Um. He winds up running over Alexander with his own laundry van, which is I will say that there are a couple spurts of moments in this movie that I was like, holy shit. Like, I just <laughs> was very struck with like what the movie was actually like the path that the movie was actually going down. Runs over over Alexander, books it to the school where he also sort of is confronted by maybe the only other adult in his life who's compassionate towards him which is the principal of this school um but in the meantime is given a machine gun by one of his colleagues or his uh, his fellow gang members whatever you want to call them and holds a bunch of kids hostage in the school and that's the third act of the movie and it is insane and shoots one shoots yeah. shoots one of them which is nuts um meanwhile cushing kind of comes back into the fold and in another scene that I think is pretty good, and like you said, Gavin, I mean, I think he's pretty good in this movie, sort of other than the moment at the end. Um, he essentially takes a ladder to go up to the window uh, to talk to David McCallum. And David yeah. McCallum is and he basically calls his bluff. Right. And yeah. He, and, he, and he David McCallum's threatening to shoot him, threatening to shoot I th the kids. I think he even flat out says, like, we're not going to shoot any of those kids. Yeah, like he, and, he, and he knows. And, and Cushing, I think, delivers it really great. I think, you know, you, you get the sense. Um, I don't there's there's an interesting switch that I think Cushing flips in a couple of I've also and I mentioned this to you off air, Gavin, recently have dove into some of the Hammer movies for the first time, which is part of why I suggested to Dan that, you know, that we do Peter Cushing because I just thought it was interesting. Um, 
But there's an interesting switch that Cushing flips, right? And it's I, he's obviously so striking in the way that he looks. Like you know, he's he's he was built to be on screen just because of the cheekbones and the yeah. nose and the he looks like a character, right? Um, and but that that precision that you mentioned earlier, uh, he he seems to hit that all the time. And I love the switch that he flips between menace and something like this, which is just it. This is maybe the warmest performance we're probably going to talk about. Of his. <laughs> um, Cause you know, even when he's not menacing, he's at least cold and calculated. Um, and I don't know. I thought that was actually it, watching him in this movie and getting to see him kind of flip his very, acute sensibilities into a place of warmth and compassion i thought was super interesting um essentially they wind up capturing johnny after his sister kathy intervenes um he gets taken away by the police all of the kids are fine except for the one who got shot who's still technically fine i suppose except for the fact that they got shot but um, and that's kind of it. The movie sort of wraps itself up fairly quickly as Cushing pats uh, Anne Haywood on the back, and he's like, "Everything's okay." And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, I found I found myself uh, I found myself thinking like, did Rudy Giuliani write this movie? Because it's like <laughs> it's like a broken windows. It's like a it's like the broken windows policy. This would be a film supporting the thoughts of that policy, yeah. right? Which is like. All you got to do, they go down the bad road, you know, she's stealing, the little kid's stealing from a store, what's next? Well, Holding the school hostage, and, you know, it's like right, they very right. much like that. They literally say that in the first act. I believe he's talking to yeah. his partner and he he's like, you know, the the a kid commits the first crime and then they commit a second crime and the most important crime that you need to stop is the second crime. Like you need to show them the error of their ways, scare them yeah. after the first and the crime. System, and the system is has no responsibility yeah. in what happens to these kids. Yeah, as well. not at all. And that's the thing. And, and even to the point where like Cushing and the other characters at the end of the movie are like, well, we did all we could. Now yeah. you have to trust the system and believe that it works. And you're just kind of like, man, there's going to be a wave of filmmakers <laughs> disagreeing with you. Like Lindsay Anderson's about to make three movies that just totally, just totally yeah, have a t different opinion. It's so weird because it feels and i know he's not the lead so he's not even given much of an arc or anything but the cushion character right yeah the first scene that he has with david mccallum is you feel like he's gonna give the counter argument right right like and he kind of does which is sort of nice right like you feel like he's gonna be the hero of the movie when he right. comes in and I suppose that's why that scene is at, is at least moderately effective is when Stanley Baker barges in and fucks everything up and Peter Cushing gets super pissed off at him for it. You like it's funny when you see where Cushing winds up at the end of the movie because it's like well, and, and and physically injured too, nonetheless, because he right, does because, when, of, when, because when of Johnny. Right? Yeah. When Johnny yeah. pushes the ladder over, he like breaks his arm. And so yeah. then when you next see him, he's in a sling. And for him to be that's like, did he hit his head? too like right it was that, that was he's the just breaking like, the arm was he like oh fine. I, guess, I guess i was wrong <laughs> yeah. about you right i guess you're a murderer forever now or whatever <laughs> i yeah it's really weird because i i was riding with this movie for a little bit because i thought that the angle on the movie was going to be weirdly ahead of its time yeah. you know what i mean like i thought it was going to be kind of like 
Stanley Baker initially following these two kids committing petty crimes and then realizing like, oh, this is all bullshit, right? Like, well, and 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 like Black Blackboard Jungle, which you know, obviously to watch it now has aged not obviously amazingly well, but I think at the time, Glenn Ford, Sidney Poitier, and all that, like, yeah, I, I, to your point, Connor, that's a good example of a movie that will. To watch it in 55, you'd be like, oh, yeah. okay, this is kind of interesting. Right, there are parts and of then, it that are dated, but when you consider it in context, you're like, oh, they were like, but they I just, were talking I find, about some shit. Right, I think yeah. I find, it to be, I find uh, Violent P- Playground to be interesting just because it was dated the minute it came out yeah. because of all those other films. Like, that's what yeah. I find so fascinating. It's, it's you know? interesting that you said that it had you for a bit because the moment it lost me, and it's I think it's like the third scene in the film, it's when they're watching that kid walk down the street and the kid's like dancing down the street and they're like, isn't it enough just to walk to school? And he's like, people don't walk yes. anymore, they jive. And I was just like, Oh, this is this yeah, is that, a movie for squares. Yeah, that, that part. So I guess I guess what I thought though is I thought that the movie was like in on that a little bit. Yeah, like, I could see that. I could see that. I thought that the movie was like, oh, we're gonna tee this Truman character up to just be totally who like immediately comes off as the biggest piece of shit and prop maybe didn't at the time given the shitty time period, but like is talking to his partner about like, oh, if your wife's giving you a hard time, why don't you just why don't you just hit her? Yes. Why don't you just hit her? Yeah. And you're like what? 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 Like the yeah, very, very outdated Sean Connery interview type thing going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, where you're like, okay. I, I will um, give the film this if I do have to say something positive about it. I think the cinematography the cinematography is really great. And it's funny because by setting it in Liverpool, they got this great background of these these uh apartment buildings and this housing that it evokes like the the working 1920s is germany that's what, it, what liverpool's built to look like the only negative is is they came in and decided it wasn't dirty enough and the people there were kind of pissed <laughs> off because they were like redressing these beautiful like deco apartment buildings with dirt you know but i, <laughs> yeah. I think i think it's effective for the film and what the movie's going for but it has a no we, the, the movie has a mood yeah right like and it's so we, beatles. we beatles <laughs> the, the we four the, beatles the from beatles. liverpool 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 <laughs> um yeah no it's got a good mood the the theme song that opens and ends the uh the movie um has like no place in the picture at all but i did like the, the song the open of, of the song is kind of cool yeah. Uh, yeah in the end yeah. in the end you know the yeah. the, the, the it, it, it bookends the movie and i thought is a cool way to it kind of reminded me of like the opening of the Naked City, if you guys yeah. remember that Jules, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the movie where it's like, yeah. you know, it's like this is the city and the people in the city, yeah. you know, that that like kind of omniscient narration. And I, um, I, I think it's yeah. a, I will say the open the cold open on the rock and roll song, it, whether or not you obviously agree with the angle that the movie's taking, it is like effective because it is like it is just it's like what is this rock and roll like what <laughs> like you know like that they're like trying to wrestle with or whatever, but. um yeah, I don't know. Violent Parade. If, look, if you want to watch it, you can find it on YouTube. Yeah. Um, so a it's, good you know, copy on YouTube, nonetheless. Yeah, but I was surprised. Yeah, I'll, actually. I'll, I'll, in the link in the article, I'll just I'll link to that. that yeah. YouTube. The same person has uploaded Cash on Demand as well. Oh, yeah. so, well, then I will also link to that. Yeah. There you go. Um, I found Cash on Demand. Uh, I found Cash on Demand because Peter Cushing, at least as of this recording, is Turner Classic Movies Star of the Month. Which, um, which is funny because I tried to go to the TCM app and it's no longer available. Oh, cash on demand. Is yeah. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, you know what? You were all out of cash. Nice. Oh man, oh, I certainly man, didn't demand it. <laughs> you were all out of cash. Um, yeah. So that's that's it. That's Violent Playground. Um, and then basically, so after he does that, he does. That's kind of he's already in the he's already been in uh, Curse of Frankenstein at this yeah. point, as well as the Abominable Snowman for Hammer. Then he does Violent Playground. Um, and then he follows that. He does a couple TV movies, but he follows that up with Horror of Dracula, Revenge of Frankenstein, Hound of the Baskervilles, John Paul Jones, The Mummy. You know, so he's in, then he's like full in yeah. on on Hammer Horror. And and I know um, you're and I oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, go I was ahead. just gonna say I know you're not here to talk about the horror films, but I do want to say Hammer was particularly brilliant by seizing on the idea that. Uh, the Universal Studios films went after the creature and they were like, no, the, the star here is Frankenstein. And a lot of that is carried specifically by Peter Cushing. Um, my favorite of those films is Frankenstein Created Woman, but uh, Revenge of Frankenstein, the second one, is maybe his best performance in any of Interesting. them. Interesting. And he's so smooth and snarky and callous and it's he's so much well, fun he's like to watch. sociopathic yeah right? I mean, he's like yeah crazy. absolutely and he, he's so much fun to watch and he he's he's magnetic and and you you almost don't ever want to take your eyes off of him when he's on the screen which is funny because as you mentioned he's not he's not a leading man you know that those cheekbones but that nose yeah. they're very graphic but yeah. they're not you know like a leading man type but he there's a charming aura around him that that just prove like he is a star yeah well and he and he he's one of those actors you know people always say this about wilford wilford uh, brimley but like he was never young you yeah know what I mean? yeah, yeah like he, he it never seemed like he was young um but i think it, it works to his advantage in, the, in these cases this reminds me i was going to ask actually at the start of this what is your guys's like favorite like horror story if you do like dracula frankenstein the mummy and then i guess creature from the black like what are what what's the favorite so like uh, just in well, so i guess we'll start we'll say like of the universal monsters like core because i yeah whatever. i was yeah. me and connor were talking about this before we were recording i kind of immediately always think like oh it's creature creature from the black lagoon is the thing i like the most but as a story and i thought about this because i was watching horror of dracula before we started recording i do think the dracula story is my favorite story actually like when you actually get down to the nitty-gritty of like the details and whatnot i have certainly not liked every dracula movie but like <laughs> take that such a great though. tale <laughs> <laughs> i definitely um yeah i Dracula's great. Dracula was one of my favorite books as a kid. So was Frankenstein. So was The Invisible Man. Those were all books that I like loved as a kid. Yeah. Frankenstein was the one where I was younger that blew me away. Yeah. yeah. Fra- I mean, Frankenstein, I, to this day, I will I will cite as like m- maybe my favorite book. But yeah, it's an um, amazing book. But the I I like all of them. I guess like I'll always maybe actually weirdly outside of dracula because i don't love vampires too much or like vampire lore i tend not to like love vampire movies um but i will always watch a frankenstein and i realized actually in what in like sort of watching some of these hammer movies for the first time and watching their version of the mummy uh 
I'll always watch a mummy. <laughs> I think mummy movies are really cool. Like, I don't know. I, and you know, maybe, and this is maybe a little problematic, but part of it might be the Egyptian thing. Part of it might be, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I always, I don't know. Mummies are cool. So that, that always gets me as well. Invisible man. I always go back to, cause it's, you know, at least with the, the universal invisible man, um, it's, just fun to watch in terms of that awesome Claude Rains performance and the visual effects, which are, are great. Um, but yeah, I'll always watch a mummy. That's, I think that that's, that's the one, even, you know what? 2017 one included. <laughs> I, um, I'm currently sitting in a room that has six copies of Frankenstein in it, <laughs> uh, alone. So I would definitely say Frankenstein. Uh, there's something beautiful and tragic about that story. Um, and I know everybody's like, oh, you know, the, the monster is a victim, but the monster is also a monster. Like he he does some things and, you know, you can justify them any way that you want. But they're 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 both <laughs> they're people who deserve each other. Sure. Dr. Frankenstein yeah. and and his creation. Um, Gavin, did you what did, what's your thought on the on the on the Brana Frankenstein? I oh, just I rewatched mean, it. Like do you do you, do you like it's it's parts of it? I, I do. Oh no, I definitely like parts of it. I, like I, I think wanna... De Niro's actually really good. I also as the, think as the creature. I, yeah, it's such a weird casting, and I think he does um, every, everything that he can with it. But I that and the way he shoehorns in Bride of Frankenstein yes. at the end is like the craziest shit I've. Had. I like forgot he did that, and then I was like, wait, why is the honeymoon happening? And I was like, <laughs> oh, because of this whole part that he does where he's like what if i just did them both yeah for one i mean the the movie itself is such a brana um vanity piece that it's hard for me to fully i mean i think brana's best films are the ones that he doesn't star in um i had the same i mean this is a complete sidebar but i had the same problem with jack ryan shadow recruit which is a movie that's more about the villain played by kenneth branagh than it is about jack ryan um, right right but and and so like, you really I, choose on that accent and yeah movie, and, that and Russian so i think accent. like i think kenneth branagh's mary shelley's frankenstein is really kenneth branagh's frankenstein right and, and but <laughs> But I will say, like, there are bits of it that are a really entertaining adaptation of a book, a really lavish, lush adaptation. Um, it's just it, there's there's no room for Frankenstein to love the monster because he loves himself so much. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's that's exactly that's right. Yeah, it's exactly. Uh, right. But the other one I do want to say, just because you you guys didn't bring it up, because the other favorite book of mine as a kid um, was Fan of the Opera. And I, I absolutely oh, yeah. love oh, right, Claude Rains is great. Yeah, in Phantom. I mean, Jordan I have Butler, not obviously seen. As well. <laughs> I have not seen the ha- Hammer did a Phantom, right? Yes, uh, with yeah. uh, I've seen it. Uh, Herbert Lom plays mm. the Phantom, and the great thing is, uh, and we haven't even talked about Hammer endings because we're not really talking about too many Hammer films. My favorite thing about Hammer movies is, as soon as the forward action stops, they end. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, they literally. The, the, they cash just, on demand. They I mean, just, cash on demand yeah. does that. Yeah. It's, it's like it's like okay, they we're just done. Dust the hands off. There's no like, closure. Okay, cool. You don't you don't get yeah. to learn anything about anyone's lives. Post. There's no postscripts on anything. Yep. And their fan of the opera is literally just like the chandelier falls. End of movie. <laughs> it's just like what? Yeah, I, Wait a second. What? No, a, no old, no old Patrick Wilson no, makeup. Nope. The no, it's, it's interesting because the um 
I also wonder, is that more of a product of British filmmaking? Right. Um, An economy of filmmaking. Because like, yeah, because like Hitchcock did that forever too, right? Yeah. Like, and, um, and I mean, maybe it's not exclusively British because the universal monster, you know, the universal monster movies do similarly the same kind of things. But I feel like a lot of those, and and this is not necessarily true. I've seen all of them, so I don't want to get them muddled in my brain but i feel like a lot of them do have like a scene towards the end where it's like two characters kind of wrapping things up or, right or, let's or put, giving, like put a button on it yeah and yeah. and like literally like you you were just saying you were watching horror of dracula and like dracula dies the end <laughs> like, yeah that's no, 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 a hundred percent and i will say really quick, shout out to cushing actually in that movie he uh, he is the one who recommended all the staging. If you've seen horror yes. of Dracula, the final confrontation between Van Helsing and Dracula, it's very short, but it's pretty dope. Yeah. And I guess I'll just quickly spoil it or whatever. But, uh, Van Helsing literally like runs down a table, leaps, grabs some curtains and pulls down the curtains to reveal daylight and kill Dracula. And it is a, I love like old stunts in old movies. Yeah. Um, Cause I do want to say that that's all. them. Maybe that's not necessarily true, I think, but I, th- I think the I think story is, goes that it's actually them doing. I think that. it is at least Cushing. Yeah. Doing that. Yeah. And the, and, the I do want to say like, if you do want to see Cushing at his most badass as Van Helsing, the second Dracula movie, which doesn't have Dracula in it, it's called Brides of Dracula. He gets bit at one point and he lights a cross on fire and cauterizes the wound oh, himself dope. on his neck. I'm going to watch that. It's I'm, the most badass Van Helsing uh, movie I've ever seen. He's like, I am not turning wait, into wait, a vampire wait, today. It- Gavin, is it more badass than Hugh Jackman's gun in Van Helsing? <laughs> Who? His crucifix gun. We all we all remember where I, we were in 04 when Van Helsing came out. We all were online. We were all online. We were like, Stephen Summers Van Helsing. It's here. We have to see a Kate Beckinsale. <laughs> Richard Roxburgh. Hugh I, Jackman. I... We I, all you remember got, where we were. I have vague memories of your very first episode of the B-Side, but I don't recognize this name, <laughs> oh. Hugh Jackman. Who is that? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Talk about a swing in that movie. Anyway, um, what's our next movie, Connor? Is it Cash on yeah, Demand? No, it's not Cash on Demand. Okay, sorry. We no, teed no. Cash on Demand so well. I know, I know. No, sorry, sorry. sorry. But, but it is a Hammer film. Yes. Um. So he does, he does Brides of Dracula in 60. I mean, really, I mean... And while we're on it, I'll talk about it with Sherwood Forest as well, which is the movie we're going to talk about, Sort of Sherwood Forest, which is 1960. Oh, yes, 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 yes. It's a Robin Hood adaptation. Because when everybody he, thinks of Robin Hood, they think of swords. Right, of course. Of course. Of course. Robin Hood's most famous which, like, weapon, and, and, a sword. Like, and it's not even like a sword. Well, what's funny is the movie is heavy on the arrow play, I know, too. It really that's, is. Just, yes. that's what's yeah, so weird. It's, yeah. it's, and it's, it's not like the sword is even like a MacGuffin or a, no. you know, like it's not, it, nothing, nothing. Um but yeah, he plays the sheriff of Nottingham. Um, it's essentially. Do, do one of you want to walk through this? It's. I mean, it's a yeah, Robin Hood adaptation. It's a little bit different. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's. It changes it's, some stuff. It's Gavin. Do you want to take it? I I don't know if I can do it fully justice because. Well, I can it, I can do it quickly. Yeah. I mean, it's very much the way Hammer does a lot of these tales. I would say I don't like. I said I've only seen the greatest hits of Hammer, so I don't. I'm no expert, but from what I gather, I mean, this is a 79-minute movie, right? It was kind of a surprise, modest hit when it came out because I do think people d- did end up liking it. Um, Richard Green, who starred on TV as Robin Hood, p- comes back and plays Robin Hood in this movie. So I think that was part of it where 
it was kind of a coup that they got him and i think that helped box office sales and it literally is like the, the premise is essentially it's essentially like an episodic uh robin hood tale right where it's like they combined everything like a lot of hammers movies do that they just truncate it where it's like you meet robin hood they're ready doing their thing and immediately after you have peter cushing as sheriff of nottingham and he kind of is devising you know this plan like using all the movies to try to catch robin hood but kind of um parallel to that the earl of newark um played by richard pasco i believe is someone that they want to assassinate because he is disagreeing with like a power struggle that sure that sheriff is trying to kind of take hold of in nottingham right Not, so well, they don't want to assassinate the earl wait who who do they the want to earl assassinate? hires him to assassinate the arch the archbishop the yeah. archbishop i'm sorry yeah. i'm sorry the archbishop and so the archbishop is essentially like no i'm not going to agree to that you know all these things and so essentially what happens is and while this is all going on maid marion meets yeah. robin hood the, and in in very hammer style the most yeah. blonde the most yep. curvy maid marion ever to hit the screen well and reviews yeah. literally said yeah. that they were like oh well we we like the maid marion i was like, cribbing you know, even from like that. Yeah, yeah. her hair like yeah, even yeah. her hair they like did not bother no they like it's it literally looked like she walked on set that way in terms of like it's very 1960 yeah. like but, she's got the yeah, bangs I, that's got, the it's stuff like, i like about the hammer movies where it's like yeah she's in it and then essentially what you learn is like She's kind of in half cahoots with the sheriff of Nottingham, where she kind of is giving him the benefit of the doubt, yeah. and almost um, semi secretly brings Robin Hood to the table with the sheriff of Nottingham, and obviously all of it's a ruse, and Robin Hood smells it, and Maid Marian feels betrayed, and um, it's it's interesting because I feel like that element is taken from the from the Adventures of Robin Hood from the the uh, yeah I, why can't I the Errol Flynn version, because in yeah. that made Marion is like siding with the bad guys throughout most of it until she meets Robin and is like, well, oh. she, yeah, she is like, like, I think only the more recent made Marions have become more like revolutionary made Marions. Yeah. Like, I think of Kate Blanchett in the Russell Crowe one, but like, or even like Eve Hewson in the freaking, uh, whatever, whoever, or uh, Ma- Jamie, Ma- the Jamie Foxx Mary one, Elizabeth kind of Mastrantonio, who's introduced with a sword fight. Yeah. Right. So, like, you know? th- that's like the modern one, but you're right, Gavin. Like, in the old versions and even in like the animated disney one she's like uh you know part of the you know yeah. the royalty she's royalty you know? and and she obviously the upper class she has thinks to be, the, yeah you know. she has to be kind of swayed another way essentially um so same thing here and then ultimately robin hood is um hired by and i think i'm right about this by the earl right yes. of newark by yes, Richard Pascal, correct. to correct. assassinate the archbishop bishop right. but not too long after, Robin Hood learns that this is all at the bidding of Peter Cushing Sheriff, and he ends up obviously ends up siding with the Archbishop in trying to defeat the Sheriff of Nottingham. So it's a pretty standard like narrative arc, but it's all just crammed right and, and into a seventy nine. I, I will movie. say it, it is maybe one of the most complicated Robin Hood plots that I've seen in, in handled in the simplest way because like. The original or most of the original Robin Hood has very little real estate intrigue. 
but that's sure. what, that's what yeah, the right, right, right. film is about. Yes, exactly. Which exactly. is such a strange thing. Like Prince John doesn't factor in at all. It's solely the sheriff of Nottingham wanting to steal this land by assassinating this archbishop. And he's in cahoots with these very dangerous people that he's underestimated. Um, and and you get a great early Oliver Reed uh, performance. Uh, and I say great, but I'm going to put an asterisk next to it because he was actually dubbed the dubbed. entire time. Yeah. And I don't he, really understand why, because. He, so it, apparently in the trailer for the film, um, you can hear. Shadows and dust. Is, <laughs> Maximus. Is the <laughs> only. um. The trailer for the film is the only place you can hear his actual voice. And he apparently was delivering a very, like, super campy French lisp. But um, then in the movie, I, I, <laughs> like, I was like, this is he got camp. Andy, he, got, he got Andy McDowell. Guys. Yeah, got Andy McDowell. What, I lo- what I love is, like, it's it's just I'm kind of like, well, just keep it in. It's not like it's out of place in right. this movie. But, right? but like, also, not- <laughs> once again, I genuinely don't. The voice that they doubled him over with is also an incredibly camp. Like there, right. like holds on well, those s's. And- well, the whole movie is camp. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, uh, Gavin, I think you tweeted kind of about that a little bit, yeah. right? Where it's like all of the costumes and the yeah. line deliveries, like Maid Marian, who uh, is played by um, uh, Sarah Branch, like who I don't think, I think was like a model. Yeah, yeah like she as, didn't make a lot of as movies. As are most Hammer, Hammer. women. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Frankenstein created woman, the the big draw of that when it came out was the woman was a Playboy playmate, so. Classic. <laughs> um, but so, I don't know. I mean, there's probably not much to say about this movie. I enjoy this fine. I mean, I think Robin Hood, maybe not unlike, you know, uh, Connor, the way you were talking about the mummy. Robin Hood's a story that's kind of, it's not bulletproof because like you can do it like yeah you know, I mean, see the tell see the most recent Edgerton, one you know <laughs> yeah that's that's, that's right. who it is Taron yeah, Edgerton yeah. thank you um I literally I was like it's Jamie Dornan and Jamie Dornan is is in the movie yeah he's like but he's, a, not, he's like the other guy yeah he's, he's like Little John or whatever <laughs> but um no no but, dude uh, Jamie Fox is Little John bro who's Jamie Dornan is he Will Scarlet <laughs> maybe oh he <laughs> is but 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 I think in that because I is he Christian Slater speaking of lisping bad guys. Um, Will, the sheriff Will, is uh, the sheriff is Ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn, who co-starred with "quote unquote" Peter Cushing <laughs> in uh, in Rogue One. Oh, in Rogue One, <laughs> I forgot that they did that. Yeah, but um, oh. anyway, you can. The point is, you can do it poorly, but I think the story it's been done many different ways, and it can't. And it's like a very kind of. There's a lot of entry points, I guess, is the idea. So it's like. This isn't I, uh, one of many enjoyable, excuse me, Robin Hood movies. So I found it a perfectly I, solid single up the middle. You know I, what I mean? I was I was a little more negative on it than you were, but I think that's mostly because uh, the the sword fight at the end was like embarrassing to watch. Yeah, <laughs> Almost, yeah. it was like the lowest energy sword fight I've ever seen. And unfortunately, yeah, that that's true. And unfortunately, true. you know, like. Uh, without saying too much about the film uh cushing's not actually in the ending of the movie um but he does get maybe my favorite line uh in the film and i feel bad because i don't want to i don't want to spoil anything for anybody but he literally says at one point like how do you expect to run a kingdom if you keep killing your friends yeah no and it's (laughs) it's he i think he's great i will say he delivered everything i wanted when I saw that he was in this movie, when yeah. we were like picking B sides, it's it, it's not. I'll say this: like the obviously the better 
more fun, campy version of this performance yeah. is obviously Alan Rickman in yeah. Prince of Thieves, which is an amazing performance. Um, and also, I also Oscar Oscar Isaac in Robin Hood with yeah. Ruth I mean, Russell I Crow. we you know you and I, Dan, we talked we've talked about that movie at length. I like that movie a well, lot. Well, Gavin, I think Gavin, you were on the episode of Kate Blanchett. I we was. talked about yeah, it. Yeah, where, yeah. Well, I always like to think that Oscar Isaac was channeling the animated, yeah, the, the animated, but he's uh, yeah. sheriff. It, well, I know he's, he's Prince John. He's, he's Prince, Prince John. John. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he, he's doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, the no, sheriff. he's channeling the animated Prince John, which is yeah, yeah, right. Which but I is guess not I always, George Sanders, but is meant to sound exactly like George Sanders. <laughs> yeah, which and, is funny. And, it's, and it, I always, I guess, it's always like you can do it one of two ways where like Alan Rickman is the sheriff, but he's also Prince. Like John. the Prince isn't in that yeah, one. Exactly. And he's doing both. Like, yeah. Weirdly, I, Michael Wincott like, is the sheriff. It's like very strange. It's like Michael Yeah, like Wincott Matthew McFadden is the sheriff in the Robin Hood 2010, but yeah. it's like, he's doing it more like a noble, yeah. like not noble, but more of like a pawn type of a thing. You know, it's like, anyway, yeah. I just wish this one uh, had had the Magna Carta in it. The, you know? well, so here's I'm actually no joke. I'm glad that you said that because I was thinking about watching like while watching this movie, it did reiterate the things about the Ridley Scott Robin Hood that I really liked, which are like the things of like I it's funny to watch, not unlike watching a movie like maybe Violent Playground, Playground right? Like Robin Hood as a char- as a written character has always been propaganda. Right. It's always been like propaganda by royalty to be like, see how important we are. See why you need us. Right. Because it's like when we're not here people just fuck everything up. Right. And and despite being an outlaw. Right. Is is all about the, the royalty. Right. And I just always liked that Ridley Scott took that and was like, yeah, like, let's, you know, and and like found a way to kind of actually make Robin Hood seemingly a, a a hero of the people by like not making him actual royalty. Right. Cause he's not, he's a, he's an, an imposter in that movie. Uh, and by bringing the Magna Carta into it, making it a little bit more about some kind of a democratization. Right. Which I always thought was kind of interesting in this movie. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think he's kind of bland. It, obviously yeah. Cushing's the reason to watch the movie. Right. And it's, so it's, it's it's weirdly kind of similar to Prince of Thieves in that regard that like you like the sheriff is the reason to to take a look at it. Um yeah. it uh yeah. Wait, you don't wait, you don't like Kevin Costner. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys um, know the like apocrypha story apocrypha fra? Apocryphal? Apocryphal? Do you know the apocryphal story of behind of the how whole... Kevin Costner had them cut down Alan Rickman mm-hmm. because people loved because him so the much. Because one of the early like yeah. test screenings, somebody wrote that Alan Rickman I don't think, gives Costner that, I don't a three. Know if that's, I don't know if that's apocryphal. Uh, I, think really, that's, I, I, I think that's a true... I think that's like a well-known... Yeah, I've always worked under the assumption that maybe it is because it sounds too good to be true. Do you, know, do you know the not at all apocryphal story, which we've talked about on this podcast, about how in 3,000 Miles to Graceland, it was so divided on the movie they were making that they allowed kevin costner to supervise one edit of the film wow that was dark and rated r not family friendly and they allowed kurt russell to supervise another edit of the film (laughs) that was family friendly (laughs) and they tested them both and they went with kevin costner's version i just have to say men are men are awful they they let that happen (laughs) like i just think that's the crazy i still think that's the craziest shit i've ever like where like Kurt Russell and Kevin Costner, big stars, mind you, but like the two Wyatt Earps, 
Yeah. I just yeah the, the two herps yeah. just added a movie together anyway yeah just um, once once again just so it's said and and are heard men are terrible <laughs> well that's really what <laughs> it's truly um, uh, but yeah so the sword uh sword of Sherwood Forest yeah is yeah I think so Gavin yeah understandably you guys are saying the last sword fight is 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 underwhelming and for sure when you think about the Curtis version and the stunts and yeah. everything yes of course like th- there's something to be desired um but then hey it's hammer baby they, they were on a budget <laughs> yeah. I, well, and even, a I will budget. say th- this is one of the few movies they shot they shot this in Ireland actually right. and you, I do get the sense that they were really flexing here yeah. with this movie. Like, I mean, I will, you know, the photography is think, okay, think but they, it is lush. Like, the landscapes are big. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. And it, I think, like I said, I think they, I think it was worth it for them. I think it was a, a bit of a boon for them. I think yeah, it did perform um, relatively well. Yeah, it's, and it's these, not the movies, only Robin Hood film they do, but it's funny because they didn't really do a series of Robin Hood films. Like they did, they did one with, more, right? Yeah, yeah. But the but I I just find that so strange to be like, well, let's go, let's go back to the. But I mean, also if you chart Hammer's thing, you know, towards the end of their their initial run, because they're now back doing movies like The Lodge and Woman in Black. But the uh, if you chart their initial run, you see the end of it is that they're mostly making big screen versions of British sitcoms. So... <laughs> the, well, and it's, I, I think yeah, that, that was the thing with Hammer, right? And I don't like I said, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. By the end of that initial run, they were kind of really kind of slumming it, right? Yeah. Like it kind of got a little... I'm, well, I mean, they... <laughs> It, it was hard because they started in the late 50s and they really carried that sort of remaking the Universal Studios films through the through the 60s. But as you know, the popularity on that can only go so far. And, you know, it's like it's any genre. And so they start making weird decisions like Seven Golden Vampires, where they make a kung fu. They, they join with a with a Chinese film studio and do a kung fu Dracula movie. And, you know, they up the breasts and the violence in their films. But, you know, that's only sustainable for so long, too. And that's only for a certain type of audience. So then you're not getting as many people into your films. You know, they really dropped out of doing thrillers like the next movie we're going to talk about uh in the early 60s yeah no no exactly and i and i said this to you dan uh after i had watched this movie um that i this is the kind of movie i actually wish they made more of like i do like their horror movies particularly ones that are you know more well made and i think the the thing about hammer movies that's so appealing to watch and i'm kind of glad glad i didn't really watch them when i was younger because i feel like i wouldn't have loved them and I'm glad I'm watching them now because I love the economy of these movies. Yeah. Like I think, and I, I was just, I was saying this to you, Gavin, right before we started recording that like, you know, the closest comparison would be, uh, you know, the Roger Corman movies. Right. But, but to your point that you had made when we were speaking that like, Corman didn't give a shit if something looked bad. And right. I think he didn't, he didn't that, give, yeah, he, he didn't give a shit about artificiality where yeah, uh, Hammer oh. really wanted things to look like they looked, but they wanted to get it at the lowest cost possible. Yeah. And I, I, that's the thing I love about these movies. Um, and I think our next movie cash on demand is a really good example of that because it, it's all of the things coming together in the exact right way yeah. to deliver a movie that, that, feels it doesn't feel like they're squeezing something in i mean the horror movies are impressive because they do put the money where it counts like the effect shots when they're on screen are impressive and are fun for the time right and right and and all that stuff really works um 
And this movie is, it's basically, I mean, it's more than a two-hander technically, but it's basically a two-hander with Peter Cushing and Andre Morel, who played Watson in Cushing's first turn of Sherlock Holmes, Hounds of the Baskervilles. Um, But basically, Dan, do you want to take the plot of this one? Yeah, I can. I mean... Um, and I will just say the Hound of the Baskervilles, which is the Hammer, which is what we're talking about, the Hammer, yeah. uh, Sherlock. That's one of my favorite Sherlock movies I've seen. I really, I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, which version. is, I, I, which is, ahead, sorry, well, I was just gonna say, which is funny because the estate hated it. Um, and uh, the funny thing is, is Cushing really pushed for it because Cushing had always wanted to play Sherlock Holmes, and he studied and he worked really hard, and he ended up being, um, the the, why can't I think of the the author of. Arthur Conan Doyle. Arthur Conan Doyle. He ended up being one of the favorites of of the Doyle estate, but because Hammer sort of pushed the more horror elements of Baskerville of the movie, yeah, yeah, they they sort of objected to that. Have you seen this? Is a, I, I I heard this on um, Who Shot Your Podcast. Shout out to Drea Clark. Um, the state is not happy with Henry Cavill's performance in Enola Holmes oh, because no, I didn't. there's a lot of different emo. I don't know if you guys have seen Enola Holmes. It's a cute movie. I liked it fine. Um, he has all these different emotions. Like the Sherlock in that movie is like, you know, it's like not Sherlock. Right. right? It's right. like very much like the cold calculation is there, but it's really more like a movie about brother, a brother and a sister, you know, and it's like. And not Sherlock the way that Doyle wrote him. And it's like apparently a point of maybe even legal contention or whatever. <laughs> and I just find it to be, I just makes me laugh. Like, cause that, that character, the Sherlock Holmes character is such a crazy, yeah. like there are some serious obsessives with that character. Um, so anyway, if, if you were to ask my boyfriend, the first thing he always says, whenever you bring up Sherlock Holmes is Sherlock Holmes is a eugenicist. So not everybody's a fan. <laughs> there you go. There so, you go. Exactly. <laughs> Well, that's right. I guess that's what really makes me laugh is the estate being angry at like a, a kind of more diverse right. portrayal of the character I find to be very kind of uh, spot on. You know, when you think about the homes, it's like, yeah, but they're fine with the Robert the, Downey Jr. versions, which I like. I it, like those movies. It's funny, actually, in, my, in my brain, laugh. and I know we're going to talk about Holmes in a moment. We really should get to Cash on Demand. But in my yeah. brain, tied for the best Sherlock Holmes are Cushing and Basil Rathbone. So... Yeah, well, Basil, I always feel like he I mean, did it he so just much. Looks so much, and it's funny too yeah. because Basil Rathbone plays the sheriff of Nottingham in the uh, Michael Curtiz in the uh, uh, Curtiz movie. Yes, yeah. so That's they're right. constantly right. chasing That's each right. other's shadow. Um, so, but Cash of Demands also kind of a simple plot. Basically, it's. Harrison Ford plays a Benton. No, I'm sorry. That's, wrong. That's, far, that's Firewall. Um, no, they're uh, so, so similar. They're so similar. They are a lot. They're very similar. It's, it's, it's literally it's the difference of technology. And, um, uh, a Christmas Carol. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's literally, yeah, it's literally the difference of just, you know, 50 years of technology. Essentially, um, right before Christmas, a um, the, I guess the boss, we call him the bank manager yes. of, yes. of a small town bank comes to work and he's uh he's peter cushing and he's just like a total stick in the mud you know stodgy God, is a word stodgy yeah, yeah. whatever you know overly pious blah 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 he comes in all the employees kind of dread him and they aren't a big fan and what have you 
and especially Pearson played by Richard Vernon. He's like kind of the main, he's like the number, the number two who like, who Cushing's about to fire at the beginning of the movie, essentially. And then Andrew Morell strolls in posing as an insurance investigator. And once they're alone in uh, Cushing's office, what is revealed is essentially this is an attempt to uh, rob the bank's vault by telling Cushing that um, Morell's associates have Cushing's family held hostage, and he proves it in a different manner of ways, and then basically forces Cushing to help him rob the bank. And of course, you know, and look, the reason I think this is a fun movie, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, it's about process, right? Like, not unlike Inside Man, maybe, in the more kind of recent example, the most fun parts of this movie, at least for me, are like, how do you actually do it, right? Sure, like, sure. like h- how do you do what? We're like, I just said the p- plot, and you might be thinking yourself, listener, you might be thinking like, well, that sounds kind of simple. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. But then when you watch the movie, and I think this is maybe a secret sauce to a lot of great movies, when you watch the movie, what's exciting is you're like, oh yeah, that would be a problem. Like you like right. you yeah. go through all of the things where you're like, oh, of course, because he's so... Because he has such a stick up his ass, all the, the employees are going to notice any little difference because he notices any little difference. Yeah. And so all of a sudden it becomes like way harder. Yeah. And like Morel has to it's, adjust to that as well. And, and it's, it's just a really good like – I mean I I was saying to Connor I, – I don't think we need to spoil this one. I was actually underwhelmed by the end a little bit and I kind of – by the end I was like, oh, okay, that's a little deflating. But – it didn't take away from the fact that it is a very kind of fun, short movie. Yeah, Whereas right. movie is, and it's a great, it's probably my favorite Cushing performance of the four we'll talk about. Yeah, I really love him it, this, in this movie. So this, this was kind of the reason I even suggested him because I did, like I mentioned, Turner Classic Movies had them as, had them as the star of the month. I like just caught this on TCM, had never seen it before, and I'm watching it, and he give such an incredible performance in this movie and that was the thing that i was like oh fuck he's like he was like a dope fucking actor and that what you mentioned dan is the crux of why his performance is so great and it's this um this turn from sort of the like like i meant just sort of the the pristine stodginess there's a great there are lots of great little things that he does uh Particularly, they're also just there in the direction, but he's just introduced, you know, taking everything on his desk, putting it exactly in its right place. And, you know, even outside of his employees saying things about him before he arrives, Cushing exudes this exactness in his performance that you know exactly who this guy is. And the most surprising thing about him, frankly, is that he's married with a child. Right. Like that you're like, oh, like that so, he has so, compassion for another person. Yeah, like someone has a had a family with this human. Um and he yeah, the way he is able to keep that that shaky fear underneath the a, a man pretending to pretend to be pretending. Like I love performances like that. Um yeah, I don't know. He's he's great. He's great. I believe it to be enough if my staff respect me for my efficiency. And your family, do they respect you too? Must you keep reminding me of what they're going through? Can't you stop gloating? I'm not gloating. I ask because I noticed that when the telephone rang this morning, your child was calling for his mother, not his father. And when your wife spoke to you, she used the word beseech. 
As if you were not often given to mercy. Shut up, will you? Don't raise your voice, Fordyce, if you really want to show them mercy. I will not stand here having judgment passed on me by a criminal. I'm only trying to show you the error of your ways, Fordyce. For you to moralize. Sitting there like some damned saint. <laughs> the saints love their fellow men, but when you're called to account, how many of your fellow creatures will give evidence for you? Those people out there, for instance, what'll they say? I am not particularly interested in the opinions of... Now, repeat your instructions. What happens when Pearson comes in? We go through the door to the staircase, and Pearson and I switch off the electric eye. Then we go down and open the safety doors for you. Then I tell... No, then, then you tell Pearson to go. But I say that there should be two members of the staff in the strong room at all times. In the end, you tell Pearson to lock us in, that is, by locking these two doors here. Then he goes. Then he goes. And what's nice about that portrayal is it's kind of against type because one of the great things about Peter Cushing is is he's constantly playing a person who is either in control or under the illusion that they're in control. Sure. And he, and look at all of the the movies that we d- did. You know, the reason he gets so angry at the cop in um oh, wow, my brain is so bad tonight. <laughs> Violent um, playground. In in Violent Playground is that he was in control. He was he was the driving force in that. And I think what's interesting about Cash on Demand is you finally get to see a person who 100% believes they're always in control and what happens when they don't have any of that control. And it yeah. is maybe his most like weaselly sniveling, like he flat out begs yeah. many times yeah. in this for, you know, for the the life of his wife and child. It's something you rarely see coming from Peter Cushing. Well, and I was going to say, coming from Cushing and coming from most male stars, yeah. which not to, not to like keep bringing up Firewall, but <laughs> Firewall, the 2006 movie, right, directed by Richard Longcrane, starring Harrison Ford. It's a similar movie, kind of a bank manager who gets into a, a scenario. It's a way more literal and like uh, yeah. fleshed out where it's like Paul Bettany literally has the family hostage and there's like p- cut scenes of that whole situation. But th- a huge difference is like the Harrison Ford and I, we love Harrison Ford, but he's a boring character. Yeah. Like he's yeah. just a good man. And it's like, and of course, most Harrison Ford characters are just good men, and that's one of the knocks on Harrison Ford. And uh, you, you know, the famous story with Kubrick directing um, Tom Cruise in Eyes Wide Shut is he literally told Tom Cruise, "Play it like a Harrison Ford character, be a boring, like atypical male, yeah. like, proto- prototypical male." And that is the problem. One of the problems with Firewall is that where it's like it's not that interesting, right? And I was when I was watching Cash and Demand, I was like, wow. If you had gotten Ford to play, you know, a manipulative or like, or just a, he doesn't have any friends, right? He's like the, he's like the shitty bank manager that all the other characters kind of just don't give the time of day. It makes the whole thing way more interesting. And you just kind of go, 
case in point, literally would be cash on demand. Yeah, the, and I, the only I, thing that wouldn't be as satisfying would is the fact that at the end when he kicks Paul Bettany out of the bank and says, get out of my bank. It just wouldn't have yeah. worked as well. Is <laughs> yeah, that not that That's movie? true. Um, that's a great point. Yeah, he does say that. <laughs> get yeah, off yeah, my You're right. Final. You know what? I take back everything I said. Get out. Yeah. He goes, he goes, uh, uh, what's a good like money line? I'm trying to think like <laughs> I have no check rejected. <laughs> yes, right, right. You no no no. I got it, guys. You over. You've been overdrawn. <laughs> Damn it! I can't figure it out. It anyway, was it's going. good regardless. I'm right there. Just give me five more minutes. No, the, I I will say the other the other addition to that because I did bring up a Christmas Carol at the beginning is and that's why this works as well because he is a very scrooge like character i mean and for all intents and purposes as you mentioned connor it's mostly a two-hander uh this this man this bank robber is playing all three ghosts and jacob marley yeah uh, but he is bad he's the, yeah. he's the bad guy he's he, right but at the same time it's a very high concept morality play where it's like you should trust the people around you. Like had yeah. Peter Cushing just tr- trusted someone else besides himself, because really he should have known this man wasn't who he was claiming to be from the jump, but he's such an egomaniac and, right. and completely believes that everybody besides himself is incompetent that he, he couldn't bring himself to be proven wrong. And, and so there, there's that moment. I know you said you didn't love the ending, but I actually kind of love that very tiny bit towards the end where he mentions like going to the Christmas party. Uh, oh, I was yeah, just like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I was right, like, he learned right. his lesson. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is, it is very much a morality play. And I mean, and speaking of Andre Morel, uh, I mean, he's obviously great as well. And he has, uh, he has, I think he gives a great performance, but I think he kind of has the easier part because he gets mm-hmm. to be the fun bad guy with, yeah, he gets to kind of let loose. He gets to fuck with Peter Cushing the whole yeah, time. Yeah, if, you, if right? you're watching it, he doesn't have an arc. Peter yeah, Cushing yeah, has right, an arc, right, right. He, you know? he might. Andre Morel maybe, without spoiling it, he maybe does like a little, but like not, <laughs> right, not, not anything that would constitute. Yeah, Cushing, yeah, no. Cushing has for sure the more interesting character, and as a result, uh, to his credit, he gives the better performance. Like it's the re- he is the reason I think to watch the movie. Um, I loved Dan, as you mentioned, I loved all the process stuff. There's the stuff with the opening of the vault. Yeah. And, oh, and he like and forgets the, and the alarm the thing, going back. And he's, oh, when man. it's he it's panics. That so, is so good. It's, like, there's a lot of that where it's and it's and the movie is great at this. And all I feel like all great heist movies are great at this, where it's like you set up the rules, right? You do the yeah. table setting where you're like X, Y, Z and, and ABC need to happen so that we can do X, Y, and Z and whatever. And, um, and this movie does that really, really well because while under the guise of everything happening, uh, Andre Morel forces Peter Cushing to, uh, to walk him through the vault and stuff because Andre Morel is posing as this, uh, as this, insurance investigator basically and richard vernon who plays pearson who's who's cushing's number two they step through everything and it, and it's great table setting because you're just like yep okay like you know it's all going to come back and that's like the fun of it right and so and so whether it's the the invisible infrared lasers or the uh, or the alarm that'll go off if one door closes and the other doesn't close for 30 seconds and then it starts, you know, it's about to and Cushing's freaking out and his hands are shaking. 
uh, and Morel's watching him from the stairs and he's just like, you motherfucker, like you better <laughs> just do this. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all great and it's all 80 minutes long. Right. Yeah. And it, um, that, you know, that's what's great about this movie. That's what's great about most of the hammer movies is that like, they're just, again, the economy of them. Um, and they they did the adjusted for inflation, by the way, for the budget of this film. And um, this movie was would have cost nowadays thirty seven thousand pounds, which see? is nothing. That's, right? Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. That's hysterical. That's insane. And it it's the kind of thing that you know you. That's the thing with Hammer that I think I have a I have a lot of respect for. It's this. It it's the you know, uh, I think Blumhouse more quickly gets compared to the corman movies yeah um but i do think blumhouse movies are closer oh, you've watched to some of those amazon films Anyways. yes <laughs> no but i i do think blumhouse uh it's i feel like it's closer comparison is hammer right yeah. because that that model of like the you know whatever we're gonna spend 10 and we're only gonna you know we're only gonna make 60 but 60 will be great if we only spend 10 kind of whatever yeah. it is um and i think that Putting everything on screen is that is the thing, and this movie to me, frankly, even more even more so than the horror movies. I think this is where all of those things that they do well as a studio really come together. Of like a tight concept, really well taught, taught uh, told quickly, you know, um, with great performances by basically two actors, right? Yeah, I mean, I think this is definitely the strongest of the four we're going to talk yeah, about, I would for say. For sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Before we move off Cash on Demand, can I just put in plug for their other thrillers? Because uh, Dan and I have actually been watching uh, Hammer, the horror movies and the thrillers from the beginning. We're somewhere in the early 60s currently. Uh, but I would say this is part of the, the holy trinity of their thrillers. I would say it, it's Cash on Demand, Scream of Fear, which is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And The Snorkel, which has maybe the worst name for a thriller, but <laughs> is out of the three, like my dream movie to remake. It's so fucking good, so tight. And so like, it's it's just one of those thrillers where you're just like, oh, how did they think of this? This is brilliant. Um, it's, <laughs> it's essentially, it's a locked room mystery where a woman dies and uh, they the, his the, her daughter believes the stepfather did it and spends the entire movie trying to figure out how he did it. And I'm not going to tell you how he did it, but it involves a snorkel. And oh, it's, yeah. It's so good. I am. I'm going to, I'm going to, is that streaming anywhere? Uh, I do not know. I watched it a couple of years ago, so okay. it might I'm not gonna, be anymore. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm going to try and find this. I will a thousand percent. Cause that, like I said, those are the, those are the movies that I kind of wish maybe they had done a little bit. Yeah. More of, um, but here we are. <laughs> so our last movie is The Masks of Death, which is a TV movie. So we're kind of breaking the mold doing that. 1984 <laughs> a British made for TV mystery movie directed by Roy Ward Baker. And um, um, it's Cushing playing Holmes once more. And actually, let me quickly... Did Roy Ward Baker direct Cash on Demand? No. Am I crazy? No. Okay, no. Quentin, sorry, sorry. Quentin okay. Lawrence. Quentin, Quentin Lawrence. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, I'm getting my tabs confused. But go ahead. Kevin, go. Uh, Kevin Francis, executive, produced it to my knowledge. And he's been the sole obstacle from it ever being released on DVD or Blu-ray. So you do, like, if you at home are listening to this and you want to see this Sherlock Holmes film, you actually do have to 
find it bootleg Watch it on, on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. literally the only way, and it's a VHS rip. Uh, just yeah, it's not I, a great copy. I yet. don't know why Kevin Francis does not want us to see this movie because it's not terrible it's not no it's no, a good yeah. seen, nice movie i i've yeah. certainly seen worse sherlock yeah. holmes movies like, absolutely I, yeah like, well don't you think it's funny we're t- so like of these four movies we're talking about a sherlock holmes and a robin hood and it's like those are two characters you know i know we we're joking about you know the specifics of you know the characters and they're not always that accessible if you consider the specifics yeah. but as general entertainment goes, it's funny. Like those are two of the most enduring, like in a world where I just, I think about this quite a bit, actually, like in a world where it feels like the entertainment world at large has always had trouble with like Edgar Rice Burroughs characters, yeah. like Tarzan and John Carter, like have never really been successfully other than like a Disney movie here or, a, you know, like those movies, like those characters have never really been adapted in the same way successfully meanwhile right the robin hood arthur Conan doyle sherlock holmes like it's just you could kind of do a lot of different versions and it feels like it basically to some degree or not works like ridicule you know you could ridicule the robert downey jr uh sherlock holmes is all you want but the truth is like you know they're fun movies right Right. like like in a different way it's like not this it's not obviously basil Basil rathbone but like i just find that interesting and i don't i can't really understand fully why that is like why is tarzan harder maybe it's the otherworldly adventure there's there's also a lot of racism you gotta dig through yeah Yeah, but like john but like john carter though that's the racism in john carter like i mean there's there's I, I'm a, like this is probably going to take any credentials I have away. I like the Disney version, so but I think the Disney version does a good job of sort of erasing that like possible racism. What of John Carter? Yeah, yeah. I love, I yeah. love. Okay, that. Wait, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. No, you're in. Yeah, you're in. Okay, you're in, good, good. Yeah, we, oh yeah, we, I, lo- we love John Carter. I think it's a fun adventure. It's and yeah. maybe maybe could be a little shorter, but I didn't. I never. Sure, I, sure. Yeah. I never had a problem with the runtime, but I know a lot of people do. Uh, but the it does a good job of sort of. <laughs> not engaging with the the imperialism and the 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 sort of um there, there's like gross depictions of, of nativism that runs through a lot of burroughs work and i think that's sure. maybe what separates it because you know at least doyle was mostly when writing to sherlock holmes sticking to his wheelhouse of being like well this is a white man living in a very white world and and with when it comes to burrows you have to you do have to do a lot with the the treatment of indigenous people um that's whether true, they that's be true. fictional or or real like they are in the tarzan books you're you're right where like the legend of tarzan which is the alexander skarsgård movie which actually did better than people remember but yeah it obviously is not it's no great stoke great <laughs> yeah but but like but but th- that script um tries to do the yes. same thing yeah, yeah right they try to kind of it, well, right they try and engage it almost head-on because you have you yeah, have sam jackson coming in as like a supporting character to like almost tokenize the whole thing in a way that yeah it's like it's okay because sam jackson's a good guy too right it's like a whole <laughs> yeah well but even yeah and the christoph waltz they do they, they, you're right they try to hit it head-on so it is different i guess because yeah. they're not ignoring it but they're but anyway i guess it's just I guess my point, though, is you find those flaws in all those things like Ian Fleming, you know, who was a spy yeah. and wrote James Bond. And those are great books. The misogyny is yeah, like they're terribly biblical. racist. They're terribly misogynist. Right. I mean, yeah. but and, like, and that that's hasn't the, stopped the, the, James Bond. You know? Right. And that's the thing. In Conan Doyle's books, you can actually find 
prime examples of a lot of that stuff too but it's been sort of through the years adapted out a big and a part of that is right right, right you know right. but i mean i i guess you know there was a time in which the tarzan movies you look at the johnny weissmuller tarzan stuff yeah. like that was popular but it's also like offensively racist so it's, it's much, much harder so, yeah. to remove that stuff or to take it from that context and and but you're you're right i forgot about i i've seen the alexander skarsgård tarzan and i'd forgotten that they actually do attempt to to do something with it but i but maybe it's just Maybe it's just too, we, look, too we old fashioned have, of an ideal. We will always have mini drivers impeccable voice work <laughs> from the which actually she's I, I, yeah, she, I do love her I, in that movie. I hate yeah. the Disney Tarzan, but she's she's fantastic. So Yeah, you don't like that Phil Collins song? No, yet? no that was uh, uh we did we you did guys it. talked about that on your episode. Yeah, we yeah. did a Disney Renaissance <laughs> episode and that was both of our one star reviews, so I know, but that yeah, Phil Collins song that is fucking great though. What's funny about from an animation, I don't know much about animation, but I do know enough to know the 3D framing and rendering that they do use in Tarzan does him, like, kind surfing of, on the vines. It the does kind the, of yeah. tease out what's to come, right? Yeah. Like, because Toy Story had just happened, and when you watch Tarzan, you're like, oh yeah, they're about to go nuts, and then yeah. it's like they they do. But anyway, um, all right. So, Mask of Death, Connor, why don't you tell us? <laughs> yeah, it's a I Sherlock mean, it's, Holmes. It's, it's a Sherlock Holmes no, no, story, it's, and it's. I mean, and it, you know, you can you can find a a bootleg of it on YouTube um, pretty easily. So I, you know, if you like Sherlock Holmes and you like Peter Cushing, I would recommend watching it. It's, it's a fun little thing. Uh, not terribly long. It's about, no. you know, it's, it's hour, tw- hour 20, maybe if that. Yeah. And um, it's, and it's decently plotted for an original uh, Sherlock yeah, Holmes story, kind which of, is hard to do. It's kind of cool. It's I will say, like the less obviously you get into why the plot is kind of cool, the better because some of it just has to do with some of the reveals of like what's actually going on. But yeah, it it it's told via flashback. Basically, uh, John Mills plays Watson this time around, not Andre Morel, which is a bummer, but it's fine. <laughs> um, Cushing obviously returning as Sherlock Holmes and. they're both retired and they are essentially telling the story via flashback uh, to a reporter and the basic crux of it is Holmes is recruited by Alec McDonald. Who's an inspector who essentially is like, Hey, look, the home secretary wants to talk to you. Home secretary is played very briefly by Ray Milland, which is kind of, which I love. Yeah. It's kind of a fun little thing. Um, And, he and Watson are essentially recruited to investigate the abduction of a German prince. And it's set, obviously, against it's 1913. So it's set against the, you know, looming, uh, looming circumstances that lead to World War One. Um, and that's the kind of shit that I love when things do this. Like it's it's actually something that I enjoyed not really the first time I watched it, but after revisiting Game of Shadows, that's a thing that that movie does that I oh, actually, yeah. that I actually kind of like that the idea is the giant you know world ending catastrophe yeah. is World War One, and it's it's cool because it just I think it just it does put a context of it of like oh yeah no at the time nobody had any idea that something how much like, worse it was gonna yeah, get, yeah like something like that could even happen i right? love i mean look the and last 20 minutes of the second of game of shadows they I do kind of like they do kind of make times. the whole thing worth it, i love it. i think yeah the jared um, harris v downey jr whole yeah. thing at the end i love yeah. um the 
but yeah, that the, this this movie kind of does that kind of thing where you you immediately yeah. get the stakes, which I think are nice, and that's an you you could maybe call it an easy out, um, but I just think it, I don't know. I think it's cool from like a historical fiction. Well, and the idea of yeah. like the weapon, right? The I guess we don't need to spoil that, but like yeah. the thing that will be revealed to be the thing that is causing what's happening, right? Plays an integral. It's, it's, it's part almost of, like the Wonder Woman thing. Yeah, right, it's, where very, it's like it's very similar. Yeah, it's got that same kind of vibe. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the you, you are seeing the implications of what will become World War One seep into the the mystery of this movie, and um and it's cool. And I think the other cool thing about it, Dan, you and I were talking about this off mic a little bit, um. Ann Baxter shows up um, in a supporting oh, yeah. role. Love. It was her last a... role too. Was it really? Yep. This was, was her last screen I mean, appearance. She's qu- and also Ray Milland, I think, died yeah. right after they wrapped. She's. Yeah. I think she's quite good. She's Irene Adler, who is essentially Sherlock. If you don't know, she's Sherlock Holmes' romantic foil, one of the only people to ever have bested him. Uh, I think Cushing plays really well against her. Yeah, their um, scenes are my favorite things. In were they movie. in a yeah. lot? I, they no. must have not been in that. Yeah, right. No, they yeah. weren't. Yeah. We talked about Ann Baxter uh, recently when we did Bill Murray because we talked about his remake of The Razor's Edge and Ann Baxter won her Oscar in the original Razor's Edge with Tyron Power. Yeah. And she's really good in that movie. Yeah, she's she's great in this movie. Their, uh, their little tit for tats are great. The, the context that this movie puts her in is kind of she's gone to america and she's actually through marriage wound up kind of integrating herself into washington politics yeah um i i loved her like little like obviously reality doesn't play out this way but her little speech to him about the fact that you know if if england were to go to war with germany there's an awful lot of german americans out there adler itself is a german last name as you well know i read recently that next thursday a group of american senators interested in foreign affairs will arrive in london men from felsic would like to lobby for american neutrality in case of war through you i fancy von felsic will meet them if you know the answer why pose the question is this the crime of which I'm suspected. Oh, no, madam. If you wish to be used, along with men like Baines and Lord Claremont, that is your affair. Used? I am an American by birth, Mr. Holmes. From America, Europe seems far off. Its national squabbles petty and unimportant. America may change its mind in due course. There are many Americans of German descent. Adler is a German name, Mr. Holmes. You already knew that. And I was like, that is, I had, like, I never would have thought of that, but it totally worked in context of what they were going for. No, it's cool. It's very, it's, it's, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I found myself, yeah. And look, like, I mean, this movie doesn't necessarily knock it out of the park. No. It could, it could obviously be better in certain regards, but I do think, I mean, for what it is, for a quick, super digestible Sherlock Holmes mystery, like, it is really fun and I think has a lot of nice little touches like that, particularly like like I said, with how it integrates itself into the into the time, right? Into 1913. Um and yeah, there's a and there are all the cool little things. There's, you know, there's disguises. Uh Cushing gets to wear a couple, which are both <laughs> kind of fun when he does. Um 
I prefer the priest one. The priest one was a lot of fun. As opposed to the doc, the doc the, yeah, that was like, where he gets to wear, he gets to wear an eye patch though. <laughs> he does get to wear an eye patch. Um, and I yell think... at Watson for shouting his name. Wat- Watson, who's, you know, like his assistant for yeah. years, they're both retired, but as like, oh, I'm going to go to a place and just shout Sherlock's name. Yeah. <laughs> well done, Watson. Um, Yeah, he, I think... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think he's a good I think he's a good Holmes. I think what I like about him as Holmes, and I guess this is, depends on how you like the character. He plays it enough of like he plays it more of as an aloof sociopath, which yeah. you know, I mean Sherlock Holmes is a sociopath. That's the whole that's part of the whole thing, right? Um he plays it a little more as as a sort of an aloof sociopath than he does like a dick right yeah. like well you get, i think you get that's your benedict, a difference you get your benedict yeah. cumberbatches and sherlock who i like that performance fine i like that show fine but like he he's a dick right in that and that's well also same with johnny lee miller in elementary it's right right it's, yeah and that's and that's an easy route to go with the character that is part of i think the interesting thing of the character is like what, but don't you, know, you think he's more of a dick in hound of the baskervilles yes that yeah, he absolutely. is in this yes like don't you think the change between the right two like role, he's like, he's right. kind of it's almost he's like cooled with age or, or whatever, yeah he's right? like and, he's aged out of it yeah. he's a little bit like and he's and he's but this it feels more it feels more like because he, he's still a dick in this and he's still a dick to watts and he's he's yeah. a dick to everybody in the room but it does feel more like he just actually isn't he like is actually just forgetting that people just don't know as much as he does. Right. And right. like, as opposed to like actively almost being like you fucking idiot. <laughs> um, and I, that's something I kind of, I really liked about his performance specifically um, is that it's, it's cold and calculated, but it's still, um, he's still, it's all, it all still seems, seems good natured as opposed to him kind of, actively actively being a little condescending to people not a little a very condescending to people as i think most other sherlocks are want to do if if you want to delve into his personal life for a little bit around this time um his wife of uh he married in 43 um and his wife his wife was a dancer yes. yeah yeah and she died in 71 and he often said that um he died with her that life wasn't much worth living without Interesting. her and and so and it, um uh christopher lee backed him up on that said you know he would constantly you know write him letters and sign the letters with love amanda and peter um after she had died you know and mm. and so he oh, would, like yeah he he ended up living until the early 90s but that's you know he he really stayed with him also two years before this movie came out he was diagnosed with cancer prostate cancer and given 12 to 18 months to live oh shit um which i i always think is amazing that he lived to 91 seeing as he wasn't really like in life for living yeah at that, sure. at that point but he he you know he was given 12 to 18 months and ended up living for another uh nine years yeah, which he has, is i believe one other credit yeah after this right this yeah this was the second to last they were yeah. actually going to make a sequel to this it got canceled because of his health um but yeah and so i just think it's fascinating to watch his performance and the fact that he's still you know he always said the thing about the hammer movies is that he he never wanted to play at camp because he knew the people watching it would take it would were to, there to see the movie to take it seriously so he mm. wanted to make the characters serious which is funny because i think 
the the heart of camp is taking things seriously right right and and, and but and i think that you know even though he knew personally that he wasn't doing well and he wasn't thriving that he was still going to give his all to these performances and so to be honest like i didn't love this movie but watching him perform watching him perform the heck out of it sort of made me really happy and it was it was it was nice to watch um there's a lot of i mean if you delve into their personal lives there's a lot of christopher lee would talk about you know when he couldn't work anymore uh cushing he would you know when he would get really sick he would take him to piccadilly circus to see looney tunes movies Hmm. and at one point they um they got thrown out of the theater because they were laughing too hard (laughs) and these were old old men and like i love that yeah and so i just i i don't know there's something very special about peter cushing and it's crazy that i mean christopher lee lives another two decades oh yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah christopher lee has the biggest box of successes of his life (laughs) and a decade later and he's in like two trilogies and i think what's interesting to compare and contrast the two there was a, a big period from the from the late 70s until the 90s essentially where christopher lee sort of turned his back on the hammer movies and didn't want to talk about them wouldn't be interviewed about them you know sort of saw them as less than and then came around to it Cushing never had that experience. Yeah. I, I said before we began this episode, I was talking to Connor and Christopher, I mean, Peter Cushing said I could do Hamlet and people would still see it, but they want to see Dr. Frankenstein. And so that's what I'm going to give them. Right. Well, look, that's, I think having that opinion is a very gracious thing that obviously not every artist i mean you you hear about this like oh we went to go see this musician and he didn't play the one song we right, wanted right. and it's like just you know there's two sides to that where it's like you know you don't want to be defined by the one thing but it's also like you also have to have you you should have the the you know the fortitude and the gumption to understand what's important to people and understand how that's you know been important to your life so it's nice to know that christopher lee kind of turned back around on that and yeah obviously that cushion was always kind of good and look it's a thing of like you know guinness we you know to be talk about star star wars he he did not like being on that set he did not like the film it ended up being his swan song nomination um which of course is the great irony where like obviously you're not going to hear that from cushing and they're obviously both in that original star wars i told you that anecdote before we began where uh uh, you know george lucas in his self-prophesizing as always you know tells people he wrote grand moff tarkin for Cushing and actually Cushing said that really he came to him to talk to him about Obi-Wan Kenobi and then upon meeting him was like oh no you should be Grand Moff Tarkin which Cushing was a little bitter about because Kenobi has more scenes right so I would really like to play I said this before we started but I did I did just Fit, before we started recording i just finished rewatching a new hope because i and i wanted to watch it specifically just to like really look at his performance and he crushes it it's like i and it, i think you know i never really paid the performance much attention and that maybe is to its credit obviously yeah to, to a degree right um but there are so many things about it watching it this time around that i was like oh like he and you mentioned the graciousness right like he shows up for the movie, right? And, yeah. and again, like maybe may sort of so- somewhat antithetical to Guinness, who, as you mentioned, Dan famously like did not want to be there. Obviously, speaks to Guinness's credit 
still comes off as a total pro, right? He doesn't necessarily look like. He and I do think be before time, he but, passed, he kind of yeah. softened on yeah. it. It wasn't like I mean, he, look, he did two sequels. He, it's not you know he didn't like go to his grave being like, <laughs> yeah. this was the worst thing yeah, ever. Yeah. You know. The but Cushing in that movie, um, really, I mean, he sells a couple different things that I think are kind of impressive. One, he sells. So that movie introduces, right, Darth Vader as a character that is clearly yeah. just not to be fucked with, right? Right. And so whether you're watching those movies in release order or chronological, well, you know, whatever, right? However you're watching them, either way, you see that character in the beginning of the movie and you're like, yo, this guy, nobody fucks with this guy, right? right? And then you see that he's like, as Carrie Fisher mentions, right, like he's on Cushing's leash, right? Yeah. And it's an interesting role to have to like play and i think he totally crushes it because there is that that order that he is clearly keeping uh combined with you know like we've said of some of these other performances that egomania of a guy who is clearly so thrilled to be in charge of what what is presumed to be this intensely destructive force right but well because he's essentially playing the role that of the emperor but right but but without the without the fortitude of it because the emperor has control over as you as you learn you know has control over darth vader for for years and and has power and tarkin's power is the establishment it's, and it's that's, a really i don't know it's yeah i really and just to speak to him being a total pro there's a particular moment that i was like oh god bless him uh where he is it's right after they've broken into to to free Princess Leia and he's talking to Vader and he there's a beep and he walks over to the table and he just puts his finger on the table and as, as if it's an intercom and listens to a guy telling him about the, uh, you know, the breakout or whatever. And he listens intently to this guy speaking. And it's just I you never for once get the vibe like a he doesn't want to be there or b he's like not taking it seriously right and he is like fully committed to the bit of like i'm pressing on this table and i'm listening to this guy <laughs> and he adds this he and guinness both i think add this legitimacy to to that movie and it's you know people talk about guinness a lot obviously because he had he had the famous negative reaction to it but um but yeah cushing just really delivers the goods and it's i think a really kind of I you know to a degree it's obviously the thing he gets remembered for because it's the most popular right. movie he's ever oh, been it in. revitalizes his career at a yeah. time in which he doesn't really want his career to be revitalized. no right 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 and it's um <laughs> it's it's really it's yeah I don't know it's it's a fact I was really fascinated by it to can I give you it. two more just like behind the scenes yeah things. please please do um, his please do. best friend on the set ended up being Carrie Fisher and I believe because that. they have a lot of scenes together. And yeah. he was, uh, you know, she she said that he constantly smelled of of lilacs and linen, which apparently <laughs> was he because he was like terrified of having bad breath. Um, and so but she when they would do their scenes together, she would have to picture him as somebody else because he would crack her up uh, when they <laughs> when they were doing the reverse shots, which I think is so funny because their scenes are so tense. Uh, but the other thing is uh, they got his boot size wrong. And so he begged George Lucas for the most part to shoot him from knee up. And so there's a couple scenes where you see his boots, but for almost the entire film, he's wearing slippers 
because That's he so is a size he was like funny. a size 14 and they were size 12 boots yeah oh so. man that's tough yeah that's so as, a, as a size 13 man i can as I can, a size I 13 can, exactly i could <laughs> not that would be tough yeah. um well so let's 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 um what do we want to see from peter cushing in the future <laughs> just kidding. well now that they can bring him back anytime anytime they want, they want. <laughs> Any, who um without looking at it i'm i because i don't really care enough but who did who, i don't remember who does his voice I will say, I I always I'm not a huge fan of the fact that they did that for Rogue One. Like Me I get I get that they did it. Whatever. Yeah. It's it's the classic Jeff Goldblum Jurassic Park thing of it's going to get worse, dude. Yeah, it's going to get worse. You're so preoccupied with whether that you could. It, you didn't it stop started to think with you it started with your guys's favorite film, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, and it's, it's true. Only gonna get That's worse. True. Oh, because of Olivier. Because yeah. of Olivier. And he. But, yeah, but that at least they use our our uh, it's archival film. And, right. Right. That's the same thing with like, th- like like Brando the, you know, and like Brando yeah, I mean, in, right. in Superman when they bring him back. Yeah, like that's Superman archival. Returns. Uh, Guy yeah. Henry was both his uh, voice double and his physical double on the set. Oh, interesting. Um, it made me laugh. I was rewatching End- uh, Avengers Endgame, um, and it made me laugh when um, I Red Skull is that his name? Yes. He's in the yeah. Whatever the fuck world and. Um, and it's not Hugo Weaving, no. but it's that other guy who like sounds exactly. Yeah. I was like, man, Hugo Weaving must have been pissed. No, no or, I mean, he hated it. He yeah. was no, like, I know, I yeah, know, I he, know. He I was just, the one who famously like stormed out of there with like the fuck Marvel, you know, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because <laughs> I do love him. He's like, I love villain, him too. I and I movie, also, yeah. well, I just also think it's funny that he's like fuck Marvel, but then he turn around and be like, well, I wasn't asked to be in Matrix Four, and it's like, well, <laughs> Hugo. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> It's um, like anyway, but um, but yeah, but well, um, go ahead, Connor. No, no, no. I was gonna say. I mean, I usually in these cases we'll talk about you know shout outs and things like. That. I mean, I will say, I weirdly my shout out would be rewatch Star Wars, like rewatch Star Wars and like really pay attention to what a fucking killer performance that is from Cushing. Um, well, because he's kind yeah, of s- in the grand context of Star Wars, I think he's kind of undersung. I'll I'll say that um, you know, as and this is, goes for myself. You know, all of the Hammer films. Yeah. I'm really kind of discovering, kind of. I mean, I think I've seen a couple over the years. I think we went to a screening, as a matter of fact, in yeah. New York many years ago. But like... Back when I'm you could sit up. in a theater with friends. I know. Oh, man. Oh. I, know. I, I, um, I'm catching up myself and enjoying them. And I think... I think there's this idea I was saying to Connor earlier. There's this idea that they're schlocky and B-movie-ish. And they are, I guess. But I think at the end of the day, more than that, um, they're efficient entertainment. It's just like yeah, you know, like yeah. they're they're fish, they're efficient pieces of entertainment, and I think like that almost gets lost in the like sh- the like schlocky B movie of it all. Um, like they're not Ed Wood movies. You no, know what I'm saying? no, like, right? They're, 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 well they're done. made with care. They're made with yeah, care. They're, yeah, and, and, and Terrence and look, Fisher, the, the Ed Wood and, movies yeah. were made with care too. But like Terrence Fisher is like a good director and yeah. like all this stuff. And so I, that's what I'm gonna do, and I'm excited to kind of continue to go down that rabbit hole. And so that's been an education for me. Um, at, you know, as much as anything else. So I'm certainly excited to kind of continue to deep dive down, down that well. Yeah. If I, if I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback off you and say the hammer films. Absolutely. But you know, if you, if you really want to uh, see a range of Cushing, I really, really do recommend the, the Frankenstein films. And I think the, the way he's able to take that character and make something so incredibly different from what you're, you know, it's, it's not, Pretorius from Bride of Frankenstein, but it's not Clive Collin either from the original Frankenstein. He's he's like doing this sort of gentlemanly, um, 
but dastardly character it's funny there is there is one um towards the end uh one of the films um where he rapes a woman and that was apparently the only thing that cushing like both him and terrence fisher really pushed against in the studio pushed for it um and so did it got cut from the american american release release. yeah yeah yeah. but i think it's in most releases now um and it is sort of unfortunate because it actually really kind of goes against his character it like when you see it in the film it's shocking more so because it's like where did this come from it's like who is this for like what you know that um and he clearly is his heart isn't in it but i but i do his frankenstein films i think are really where it's at i think they're sort of the crown jewel of the of the hammer monster films especially revenge of frankenstein and frankenstein created woman martin scorsese loves frankenstein created woman as well so well in good company uh, if you if you listener want to want to at least get the the initial crash course in hammer um hbo max actually has uh, yeah they have the mummy they have horror of dracula curse of frankenstein there might be one more that's on there yeah, those um, are the main three i think those are the main ones i actually just last night uh not a cushing movie but a hammer movie i just last night watched curse of the werewolf with oliver reed where there's nary a werewolf to be seen for most of it for, for basically an hour of the 90 minute runtime yeah um, curse of what yeah it's crazy I'm, I'm gonna watch house of the long shadows tonight which ah. has vincent price christopher lee and peter cushing all in the movie together. Oh. and john carradine i uh i will warn you it's not great because i watched it for the vincent price episode but it's fun. It's fun Is to it see really? them all. Okay, well then, it's all right, fun to right. see them all. You know together. what I will, and just uh, I guess a, sh- uh, a shout out to just Halloween watching as well. I've been, I, as I imagine most people have, just been watching a bunch of horror movies. I did recently rewatch something I saw on cable all the time as a kid, but never actually like watched it straight through. I did just watch uh, House of Usher, yeah. which um, with Vincent Price, he's so good, in and and Mark Damon's impeccable hair that never moves. Um, <laughs> that um, that's a fun one. Vincent Price is great in it. Um, Vincent Price is another person who I feel like, you know, oftentimes he, I mean, he is, he is camp. It's hard to, to yeah. <laughs> draw him away <laughs> that, from that. The mustache but, alone, buddy is, but for the most part, took a lot of his roles really serious. Sure. And, and that's sort of where the camp comes from. So, but yeah, Cushing, anything else we want to just anecdotally say about him? Uh, no, I, yeah. I think happy Halloween. Yeah. Happy Halloween. Cushing. Enjoy your cushing. Gavin, um, thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you so th- much for having me on. I, I really always appreciate when you guys ask me. We still need to have Connor on. And I know. You got to get Connor on. And we'll figure out, Dan. We'll figure out a, a good one, Gavin. I will say uh, we did, unfor- you know, obviously we've scrapped it for all the obvious reasons. We were planning a two-part James Bond episode um, yeah. that, that we were going to try and do. Uh, and, you know, maybe we'll, we'll cover that at some point. May, you know, maybe it doesn't need to be topical. Maybe we'll do it before the next James Bond movie comes out. I mean, um, that movie's going to come out in April of 2024. So <laughs> so we'll do it then. Yeah. Uh, if there's still a planet left. Um, Gavin, where can we find you? Anything you uh, want to plug, I guess, real quick? Absolutely. Uh, uh, as you guys mentioned up top, I'm an editor, so you've maybe seen my work on TV somewhere. But also, uh, I co-host a podcast called The Mix Reviews with my good friend, Louis Rondon. And we are a podcast where we take a film subject, such as an actor, director, or mini genre, and we give you a full history. And then we talk about what's great and maybe what's not so great. 
and what it's about going forward. And it's a fun show and it's only it's the episodes are long, but it's biweekly. So hopefully that that keeps you from getting too like, oh, why are these so long? Because uh, we do do full histories and, and it's hard to to sort of trim them down, though. We've still never had an episode over two hours. And I'm very, I'm very well, happy about that. Guilty <laughs> as charged. Um but yeah, that and then if you want to find my annoying tweets online, I'm at friendless mean. So yeah, and the and the mixed reviews is at mixed review at mixed yep, reviews at the mixed reviews. Okay, the Thanks. the is very important because there are for some uh, reason after we <laughs> came out, many other podcasts called mixed reviews, and so but we're the only the mixed reviews. Yeah, others and, tried and, to cut it because they thought it was cleaner, but no, yeah, it turns exactly. out keep, keep the the it's better. Um, <laughs> you know you know what's cool the Facebook. There we go. <laughs> uh dan where can people find you oh you know at dj mecca uh on the film stage writing about stuff um there's a movie i think i think i'm reviewing the new kevin costner movie with diane lane so look for that uh coming out what uh yeah it's called uh i can't think of let the him title go right now let him let, go, let him I, go. I think let him go i saw the i saw the trailer for that it's before like, seeing the new mutants at, at a drive-in and i anytime that they, like a character was like He's a wee boy now. I could not stop laughing. So when I saw that trailer and granted it all, you, you give me Costner and Diane Lane. I'm like, I'm in. Let's do it. I believe I, You're be- like Ma and I believe yeah. from the director of um, the family stone. So, you know, lots of, lots of. <laughs> yes. For that. Yes. Um, yeah. But the, that's me. Are, are we going to before we get off of you, are we going to mention the baby? Yeah. In the I mean, yeah, not? I put it on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, I, I, uh, I had me and my lovely wife Kelly had a baby um, about a month ago. Now, if, yeah, if you're listening, about a month ago. So little Noah, Pop, little Noah Mecca running around, Papa Danny, trying to figure out the planet is better oh, for thank you. having more of you around. Thank and your you, wife I appreciate around, that. So. Yeah, we're we're trying to figure out how to how to uh, how to do all of it, but we are we have a lot of help, <laughs> so we're we're blessed, obviously, a lot to be thankful for as we approach the Thanksgiving season. So, yes, no, very happy, very very blessed. So, um, that's a whole new a whole new thing, a whole new a whole new exciting part of 2020, um, and a bright spot, of course, <laughs> certainly, certainly. Um, thank you out there, listeners, for for tuning in, and uh, happy Halloween to you all. You can follow this podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, at TFS B side, you can follow me on Twitter at scruffy looking you, uh, please, if you enjoy what you've heard, if, uh, you've checked out other episodes, please remember to rate review and subscribe and, uh, we will catch you on the next one. Do remember if you're stateside to vote, please. Uh, we would very, we would very much appreciate that. Uh, because look, times are hard and we could all use a little cushing.